Section 31 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1D, Section 31 chapter forty two part six but while the queen in this critical emergence roused the animosity of the nation against popery she treated the partisans of that sect with moderation and gave not way to an undistinguishing fury against them though she knew that sixtus quintus the present pope famous for his capacity and his tyranny had fulminated a new bull of communication against her, had deposed her, had absolved her subjects from their oaths of allegiance, had published a crusade against England, and had granted plenary indulgences to everyone engaged in the present invasion, she would not believe that all her Catholic subjects could be so blinded as to sacrifice to bigotry their duty to their sovereign and the liberty and independence of their native country. She rejected all violent counsels by which she was urged to seek pretenses for dispatching the leaders of that party. She would not even confine any considerable number of them, and the Catholics, sensible of this good usage, generally expressed great zeal for the public service. Some gentlemen of that sect conscious that they could not justly expect any trust or authority, entered themselves as volunteers in the fleet or army. Some equipped ships at their own charge, and gave the command of them to Protestants. Others were active in animating their tenants and vassals and neighbours to the defence of their country, and every rank of men, burying for the present all party distinctions, seemed to prepare themselves with order as well as vigour to resist the violence of these invaders the more to excite the martial spirit of the nation the queen appeared on horseback in the camp at tilbury and riding through the lines discovered a cheerful and animated countenance exhorted the soldiers to remember their duty to their country and their religion and professed her intention though a woman to lead them herself into the field against the enemy and rather to perish in battle than survive the ruin and slavery of her people by this spirited behaviour she revived the tenderness and admiration of the soldiery an attachment to her person became a kind of enthusiasm among them and they asked one another whether it were possible that Englishmen could abandon this glorious cause, could display less fortitude than appeared in the female sex, or could ever by any dangers be induced to relinquish the defence of their heroic princess. The Spanish armada was ready in the beginning of May, but the moment it was preparing to sail, the Marquis of Santa Croce, the admiral, was seized with a fever, of which he soon after died. The vice-admiral, the Duke of Paliano, 
by a strange concurrence of accidents at the very same time suffered the same fate and the king appointed for admiral the duke of medina sidonia a nobleman of great family but unexperienced in action and entirely unacquainted with sea affairs alcerade was appointed vice-admiral this misfortune besides the loss of so great an officer as santa croce retarded the sailing of the armada and gave the english more time for their preparations to oppose them at last the spanish fleet full of hopes and alacrity set sail from lisbon but next day met with a violent tempest which scattered the ships sunk some of the smallest and forced the rest to take shelter in the groin where they waited till they could be refitted when news of this event was carried to england the queen concluded that the design of an invasion was disappointed for this summer and being always ready to lay hold on every pretence for saving money she made walsingham write to the admiral directing him to lay up some of the larger ships and to discharge the seamen but lord effingham who was not so sanguine in his hopes used the freedom to disobey these orders and he begged leave to retain all the ships in service though it should be at his own expense he took advantage of a north wind and sailed towards the coast of spain with an intention of attacking the enemy in their harbours but the wind changing to the south he became apprehensive lest they might have set sail and by passing him at sea invade england now exposed by the absence of the fleet he returned therefore with the utmost expedition to plymouth and lay at anchor in that harbour meanwhile all the damages of the armada were repaired and the spaniards with fresh hopes set out again to sea in prosecution of their enterprise the fleet consisted of a hundred and thirty vessels of which near a hundred were galleons and were of greater size than any ever before used in europe it carried on board nineteen thousand two hundred and ninety-five soldiers eight thousand four hundred and fifty-six mariners two thousand and eighty-eight galley slaves and two thousand six hundred and thirty great pieces of brass ordnance it was victualled for six months and was attended by twenty lesser ships called caravals and ten salves with six oars apiece the plan formed by the king of spain was that the armada should sail to the coast opposite to dunkirk and newport and having chased away all english or flemish vessels which might obstruct the passage for it was never supposed they could make opposition should join themselves with the duke of parma should thence make sail to the thames and having landed the whole spanish army thus complete at one blow the entire conquest of england in prosecution of this scheme philip gave orders to the duke of medina that in passing along the channel he should sail as near the coast of france as he could with safety that he should by this policy avoid meeting with the english fleet 
and keeping in view the main enterprise should neglect all smaller successes which might prove an obstacle or even interpose a delay to the acquisition of a kingdom after the armada was under sail they took a fisherman who informed them that the english admiral had been lately at sea had heard of the tempest which scattered the armada had retired back into plymouth and no longer expecting an invasion this season had laid up his ships and discharged most of the seamen from this false intelligence the duke of medina conceived the great facility of attacking and destroying the english ships in harbour and he was tempted by the prospect of so decisive an advantage to break his orders and make sail directly for plymouth a resolution which proved the safety of england the lizard was the first land made by the armada about sunset and as the spaniards took it for the ram head near plymouth they bore out to sea with an intention of returning next day and attacking the english navy they were descried by fleming a scottish pirate who was roving in those seas and who immediately set sail to inform the english admiral of their approach another fortunate event which contributed extremely to the safety of the fleet effingham had just time to get out of port when he saw the spanish armada coming full sail towards him disposed in the form of a crescent and stretching the distance of seven miles from the extremity of one division to that of the other the writers of that age raise their style by a pompous description of this spectacle the most magnificent that had ever appeared upon the ocean infusing equal terror and admiration into the minds of all beholders the lofty masts the swelling sails and the towering prows of the spanish galleons seem impossible to be justly painted but by assuming the colours of poetry and an eloquent historian of italy in imitation of camden has asserted that the armada though the ships bore every sail yet advanced with a slow motion as if the ocean groaned with supporting and the winds were tired with impelling so enormous a weight the truth however is that the largest of the spanish vessels would scarcely pass for third rates in the present navy of england yet were they so ill-framed or so ill-governed that they were quite unwieldy and could not sail upon a wind nor tack on occasion nor be managed in stormy weather by the seamen neither the mechanics of shipbuilding nor the experience of mariners had attained so great perfection as could serve for the security and government of such bulky vessels and the english who had already had experienced how unserviceable they commonly were beheld without dismay their tremendous appearance effingham gave orders not to come to close fight with the spaniards where the size of the ships he suspected and the numbers of the soldiers would be a disadvantage to the english but to cannonade them at a distance and to wait the opportunity which winds currents or various accidents must afford him 
of intercepting some scattered vessels of the enemy nor was it long before the event answered expectation a great ship of bisky on a board of which was a considerable part of the spanish money took fire by accident and while all hands were employed in extinguish the flames she fell behind the rest of the armada the great galleon of andalusia was detained by the springing of her mast and both these vessels were taken after some resistance by sir francis drake as the armada advanced up the channel the english hung upon its rear and still infested it with skirmishes each trial abated the confidence of the spaniards and added courage to the english and the latter soon found that even in close fight the size of the spanish ships was no advantage to them their bulk exposed them the more to the fire of the enemy while their cannon placed too high shot over the heads of the english the alarm having now reached the coast of england the nobility and gentry hastened out with their vessels from every harbour and reinforced the admiral the earls of oxford northumberland and cumberland sir thomas cecil sir robert cecil sir walter raleigh sir thomas vavasour sir thomas gerard sir charles blount with many others distinguished themselves by this generous and disinterested service of their country the english fleet after the conjunction of those ships amounted to a hundred and forty sail the armada had now reached calais and cast anchor before that place in expectation that the duke of parma who had gotten intelligence of their approach would put to sea and join his forces to them the english admiral practised here a successful stratagem upon the spaniards he took eight of his smaller ships and filling them with all combustible materials sent them one after another into the midst of the enemy the spaniards fancied that they were fireships of the same contrivance with a famous vessel which had lately done so much execution in the scheld near antwerp and they immediately cut their cables and took to flight with the greatest disorder and precipitation the english fell upon them next morning while in confusion and besides doing great damage to other ships they took or destroyed about twelve of the enemy by this time it was become apparent that the intention for which these preparations were made by the spaniards was entirely frustrated the vessels provided by the duke of parma were made for transporting soldiers not for fighting and that general when urged to leave the harbour positively refused to expose his flourishing army to such apparent hazard while the english not only were able to keep the sea but seemed even to triumph over their enemy the spanish admiral found in many re-encounters that while he lost so considerable a part of his own navy he had destroyed only one small vessel of the english and he foresaw that by continuing so unequal a combat he must draw inevitable destruction on all the remainder he prepared therefore to return homewards 
but as the wind was contrary to his passage through the channel he resolved to sail northwards and making the tour of the island reached the spanish harbours by the ocean the english fleet followed him during some time and had not their ammunition fallen short by the negligence of the offices in supplying them they had obliged the whole armada to surrender at discretion the duke of medina had once taken that resolution but was diverted from it by the advice of his confessor this conclusion of the enterprise would have been more glorious to the english but the event proved almost equally fatal to the spaniards a violent tempest overtook the armada after it passed the orkneys the ships had already lost their anchors and were obliged to keep to sea the mariners unaccustomed to such hardships and not able to govern such unwieldy vessels yielded to the fury of the storm and allowed their ships to drive either on the western isles of scotland or on the coast of ireland where they were miserably wrecked not a half of the navy returned to spain and the seamen as well as soldiers who remained were so overcome with hardships and fatigue and so dispirited by their discomfiture that they filled all spain with accounts of the desperate valour of the english and of the tempestuous violence of that ocean which surrounds them such was the miserable and dishonourable conclusion of an enterprise which had been preparing for three years which had exhausted the revenue and force of spain and which had long filled all europe with anxiety or expectation philip who was a slave to his ambition but had an entire command over his countenance no sooner heard of the mortifying event which blasted all his hopes than he fell on his knees and rendering thanks for that gracious dispensation of providence expressed his joy that the calamity was not greater the spanish priests who had so often blessed this holy crusade and foretold its infallible success were somewhat at a loss to account for the victory gained over the catholic monarch by excommunicated heretics and an execrable usurper but they at last discovered that all the calamities of the spaniards had proceeded from their allowing the infidel moors to live among them soon after the defeat and dispersion of the spanish armada the queen summoned a new parliament and received from them a supply of two subsidies and four fifteenths payable in four years this is the first instance that subsidies were doubled in one supply and so unusual a concession was probably obtained from the joy of the present success and from the general sense of the queen's necessities some members objected to this heavy charge on account of the great burden of loans which had lately been imposed upon the nation End of section thirty one chapter forty two part six